0: Exodus chapter 10 is a good landing place for where we will be this morning. And we are contemplating this Christmas season what the scripture has to say about darkness and light. That's the theme that we are going to be focusing on as we move forward toward Christmas. And so last week we talked about the creation of light in Genesis chapter 1. And, and then we looked at John chapter 1 and what John says about Jesus as the light. And uh, this week we're going to be looking uh, a bit at Exodus and another incident of darkness and light and how it points us to Christ. But I want to begin with a story about darkness and light. I was reading last week a book, a memoir of sorts, by one of my favorite songwriters, a guy named Andrew Peterson. He wrote a Christmas album called "Behold the Lamb of God." If you've never heard it, I encourage you to check it out. It's incredibly good. It tells the story of Christmas from the Old Testament all the way up to the birth of Christ. He's written music that has moved me deeply. He's written books that has that have stirred hope. In me, uh, because he's not afraid to be honest about the darkness in the world and the darkness in his own life, the struggles that he's experienced, but also uh, how Christ and the promise of resurrection and new creation uh, gives us strength and encouragement and enables us to to press on even in the darkness. so I was reading his memoir this last week and he was uh, telling the story of one of the lowest moments of his life. He was just turned 40, uh, just celebrated his 20th wedding anniversary, just finished a 10-year project he had been working on, and, and other things were going on as well. And he was just in a, at a point in his life where he felt swallowed up by darkness. He was um, at a church where he was going to be performing a concert uh, that night, and uh, he uh, was just um, struggling, sorrowful, I think and so before the concert, uh, he ducked into a closet uh, there at the church and and the door was just cracked a little bit, and he was praying desperately for God to give him some light, to give him some hope, to give him some encouragement. He was pleading with God to help him. And while he was in that closet, praying to God, somebody walked by, no doubt having no idea he was in there, and shut the door. Now you can imagine what that felt like. Right? If, I, if I remember it correctly, he, he said it felt like God had shut the door on him. Like God had closed him in, in the darkness. And I tell you that story, in part, to keep me from giving you easy answers in the sermon this morning. Because we're going to talk about the reality of darkness. And, And I want to give you the hope of light. But I don't want to do it in a way that makes it sound like God has a light switch. If you just follow these three steps, boom, the light will shine into your life and everything will be fine again. Because that's not how it works. And that's not what the Bible says. I suspect that some of you have been in a place like Andrew Peterson was, where you felt surrounded by darkness, and maybe even felt like in the midst of your desperate cries for God to give you light, it just got darker. Maybe some of you feel a little bit like that right now. It's Christmas. We're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be joyful. But your heart is heavy. Your burden does not feel light. And you're hoping that you could get some light to shine on you. I want to tell you this morning that it's okay to feel that way. And that there's hope for you and for me. Because God is light and he never leaves or forsakes his people but we can't make the lights come on whenever we choose. There's no easy way to cause the light to dawn in your heart but there are things we can do to put ourselves in the path of the light and there are promises that we can cling to to remind us that God will not leave his people in the dark. So let's look together at the book of Exodus. We'll come to chapter 10 in just a minute, but I want to start by reminding you of something that happens in Exodus chapter 5. We know the story of the 10 plagues, of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, and the Passover and all that, but often we forget how things got started. We know that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. God knew about Israel's suffering, their hardship, their enslavement, and God told Moses that he wanted him to go to Pharaoh. God was about to deliver the Israelites. He was going to bring them out of their slavery in Egypt, and he was going to take them to the promised land. But what we often forget is that when that process started, in chapter 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, you've got to let my people go, God says, so they can go and worship me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh, we know throughout the story, he says no over and over. He hardens his heart. But here at the beginning, he says, you know what? If you guys are thinking about leaving to go worship in the wilderness... I must not be giving you enough work to do. You must have too much free time on your hands if you're thinking about going to worship. So here's what we're going to do now. I've been making you make bricks with mud and straw. You're still going to make bricks, but now you're going to get your own straw. And you're going to make the same amount of bricks you've always been making. The leaders of Israel hear that news and they think there must be some kind of mistake surely pharaoh is not expecting us to make the same amount of bricks without supplying us with any straw so they bring their complaint to pharaoh and they find out that's exactly what pharaoh is saying and so they speak to moses toward the end of chapter 5 in verse 21 And they say to Moses, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses, you have just made things so much worse. I mean, it was bad, but now you're trying to fix it and it's... It's not getting any better. It's getting worse. And so Moses, it says, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So here are the Israelites in slavery in Egypt, being oppressed by a powerful Pharaoh. And God says, I've got good news, I'm going to deliver you. But before it gets better, it gets worse. It gets worse for the people of Israel, who now are having to make breaks without straw. It gets worse for Moses, who's being told by the people that he's supposed to lead. Basically, we want God to judge you, like our God judge between you and us. You're, you're making this hard on us. And so Moses is saying to God, what are you doing? Why is it happening this way? I thought you were going to deliver us. You're not doing that. It's important for us to remember that even when God is at work, even when God is working for our deliverance, even when God is working for our good, Things around us, things with us, might get worse before they get better. Don't despair when things get bad. Don't think that because they're getting bad, God must not be there, or God doesn't care. Sometimes, when God starts to work, things get hard. But then they get better. So if we fast forward a little bit in the story to Exodus chapter 10, at the end of chapter 10, starting in verse 21, we read of the next to last of the plagues. The last plague, of course, is the death of the firstborn son. And and with that comes the the Passover, the slaughtering of the lamb. So the blood is placed over the doorpost of uh, the houses of Israel so that the firstborn sons will um, be passed over from Israel's family. And that they will be saved and then the people get to go out right, but before that happens comes this next to last plague, the plague of darkness and I, think we, I think Greg touched on this a little bit in Sunday school uh, last week but I want us to think about it again this morning right, I don't think it's an accident that the next to last plague before death is darkness because those two things go together don't they and the darkness that Egypt experiences during this plague is more terrifying than probably anything any of us have experienced in, in this kind of um, realm. Right? Verse 21 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Now, we, We've probably all been in some dark places. I don't know if there's ever been any place quite that dark. A darkness to be felt. Verse 22 says that Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. And then verse 23 says they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. It is a terrifying darkness. It is a paralyzing darkness. They can't go anywhere. Because they can't see anything. They're cut off from everyone and everything, swallowed up in the darkness. And this is a darkness of judgment. That's something else the Bible connects to darkness, right? Is judgment. That's what's happening to Egypt here. God is bringing judgment upon them because Pharaoh won't let his people go. But it says, at the end of verse 23, But all the people of Israel had light... Where they lived. So Egypt is swallowed up in darkness, but Israel has light. Why does Israel have light? Because Israel is good? No. Because Israel is God's. And God is light, and God, even in the midst of the darkness, gives light to his people. Now, listen, they're still in slavery. They've not been delivered yet. Right? Everything is not better yet. Things got worse at the beginning. But we're getting close to the moment of redemption and things have gotten a little bit better, right? Because now, early on, we're not told that there was always a distinction between the plagues coming on the Egyptians and the plagues affecting the Israelites. But, but later on, there is a distinction made and this is one of those times. Israel has light even while Egypt is full of darkness. And then later, when they come out of the Passover, there's the death of the firstborn, and Pharaoh finally says, get out of here, I want you to leave, go, take everyone, take all your animals, just get out of my sight. And when that happens, God does not say, okay, I got you out of here, now you're on your own. Instead, what happens is in chapter 13, verse 17, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So he knew his people's fears, his people's weaknesses. He took those into account. Verse 18, he says, But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. So they go out into the wilderness. They're headed toward the Red Sea and then just get down to verse 21. It says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, they've been rescued. They've been delivered. Right? They are out of Egypt. They are under or out from under Pharaoh's thumb, but we all know what happens in the next chapter. Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh decides to chase them down. They're not completely out of the woods yet. In fact, they're literally in the wilderness, with an enemy on their tail. But what does God do? He's present with them, in the daytime, in a pillar of cloud, and then in the night in a pillar of fire, to give them light. He has not yet destroyed their enemies, though He will. They're not yet in the promised land, though He's leading them there. But in the meantime, He gives His people light. Just like Israel, we're not yet in the promised land. We're not yet in the new creation. We're not yet in heaven in the presence of God. We too are in a wilderness of sorts. Right? Sometimes feel like we're wandering, don't know where we're supposed to be going, what we're supposed to be doing. But all the time we need God to light our way. To show us what to do, to show us where to go. Which is why the Psalms teach us to pray things like this in Psalm 43.3. It says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. You don't pray for God to send light unless it's dark. You don't pray for God to lead you unless you don't know where to go or how to get where you're going. So the psalm teaches us to pray, God, give us light in our darkness. God, lead us to your dwelling place. We want to be with you. We want to be in your presence. Please bring us there. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. we memorized that verse many of us when we we're children. Known it for years, but have you ever thought about why you would need a verse like that? Why is it important? That God's word is a lamp to your feet. Because you're walking in the dark. If you're walking in the light, you don't need a lamp. But often we're walking in the dark. We do need a lamp. We need God's word to show us where to step, where to go, what to do. Later in Psalm 119 verse 130, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. We cannot flip a switch to remove our darkness. There's no three easy steps to restore the light in your life, or something like that, as catchy of a sermon title as that would be. It doesn't work that way. But here's what we can do we can put ourselves in the path of the light. And we can wait. We can open God's word. We can listen. We can read. We can pray. God, give me light. God, send out your light and your truth. God, your word is a lamp to my feet. Light it up. Show me where to go. Help me know what to do. May not answer right away. May get the door shut on you for a little while. But... He will never leave us in darkness because He is the light and He gives light. We talked about last week how God created the light and that was the first thing after He created the heavens and the earth. The first thing Genesis 1 says He spoke into existence was the light. And then He separated the light from the darkness. And then in Exodus, we've just seen how God brought darkness on the Egyptians but gave light to To his people. And part of why all of that is significant is because later the Bible tells us in 1 John 1 5, we we talked about this verse last week, but we'll probably talk about it every week in this series. 1 John 1 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He gives us light because he is light. And that's his nature. That's who he is. In fact, in the Psalms, in Psalm 104, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. God is light. God is clothed in light. First Timothy 6.16 says that God dwells in unapproachable light. There's no darkness in God. God is light. God is clothed in light. And God gives light. Psalm 18.28 says, For it is you, Lord, it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 36, 9, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And Psalm 118, verse 27 says, the Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. See, here's the thing. God might let you dwell in the darkness for a time. God might let things be hard. God might allow the suffering to continue. God might not take away the burden right away. And when that happens, we can be tempted to shake our fist at Him or to give up hope in Him or to turn away from Him thinking that we can find light somewhere else. But we never do. Not light that lasts. Because God is the light. God is the giver of light. God is the one who sends the light. God is the one who lights our path. And sometimes we might have to wait for Him. Wait for Him to shine that light into our life. But we know we're not going to find it anywhere else. It's just like Jesus and his disciples in John chapter 6, and I, Andrew Peterson might have told this as part of his story too, I can't remember. But in John chapter 6, when Jesus says some hard things, and the crowds who've been following him depart and say, we've had enough of listening to this stuff, and they leave. And Jesus says to his disciples, you want to leave too? And one of the disciples, I'm pretty sure it's Peter. He's usually the one who's speaking up, right? One of the disciples says to Jesus, where would we go? If we left you, where would we go? Because Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. I don't know what Peter was thinking. He didn't say, no, I thought that was a great sermon. I thought that was easy. He might have thought it was really hard too. But here's what Peter knew. I'm not getting the truth that gives life anywhere else if I leave Jesus. And that's what we know too if we're Christians, right? We know that the light comes from God. And sometimes we have to wait for it. We don't always see it. We don't always feel like we're experiencing it. But we're not going to find it anywhere else. And here's our anchor. Our anchor is in this. That when God sent His Son into the world. He sent the light once and for all. all right, here's another passage. You've, you've probably heard this passage dozens of times, but maybe hear it afresh in light of what we've seen in Scripture about the light. Okay, this is a passage from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is about to start His public ministry. He's just been baptized And he's just heard about John the Baptist being arrested. Here's what it says. "says Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He's going to quote Isaiah now. And he says this verse from Isaiah is being fulfilled by Jesus moving into the region of Galilee. It says, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. When Jesus came, he turned the lights on because he is the light. He, he, maybe a better way to say it would be when Jesus came, he brought the light to the darkness. Because he is the light who shines in the darkness. Just as John says in the beginning of his gospel. He's the true light who is coming into the world. The light is here. That's why we have Christmas lights. Christmas candles. To remind us that Jesus is the light of the world and that he has come. The next thing it says in that passage is that from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Later, when Paul is preaching about the coming of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, he's told uh, by God what he's supposed to do. Here's what God says in Acts 26 to the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, Jesus, who is the light, comes preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Paul is told, you preach to these people about Jesus so they can turn, which is what repent means, so they can turn from darkness to light which means when Jesus came as the light into the darkness and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying, turn from your darkness to me, the light. If you want to be in the kingdom of light, that's why I came. That's why I'm here. That's what I've brought with me. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why if we're not a Christian, we would encourage you to turn to Jesus we're not saying, you should be able to tell from this sermon, we're not saying if you turn to Jesus, all your problems will go away. Or that your life will be easy. Or that everything will be great. Following Jesus is not all sunshine and rainbows. But Jesus does say that he's the light of the world. And that if you follow him, you'll not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You might not always feel like you're not in the darkness. But the light will always be there, whether you feel like it or not because he'll never leave you or forsake you. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, about those who have trusted in Christ, those who belong to Christ, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, you may not have a pillar of cloud and fire going before you. You might not be able to look out from your house and see the Egyptians in darkness and glory in the light that surrounds you. But if you are in Christ, you are no less in the light. Are no less led by the light. And more than that, guaranteed that the light will never leave you never forsake you no matter how you feel no matter how hard it gets god will not abandon you to the darkness but will give you light in his son let's pray